all of us to be attentive, be able to learn something from it, to gather something from it, Lord. Help us to have open hearts to hear your word, Lord, and that your Holy Spirit would move in us. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, well we're there in Acts chapter number 25. And if you remember from last week, or the previous chapter, uh, Paul was being judged by Felix, and uh, Felix has now been replaced by Festus. These are Roman leaders of the, uh, Jerusalem and that province there. If you look at verse number 27 of chapter 24, it says, But after two years, Porcius Festus came unto Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. So, Felix was in charge when Paul was arrested, when all that happened. Felix, uh, you know, Paul stood before Felix. Two years went by, nothing happened, Paul was still in prison. And then Festus replaced Felix as the Roman leader there. In, in that province, and now we will see Paul in chapter 25 stand before Festus. And I want you to notice in, in verse 27 of the previous chapter, in the last verse of the previous chapter, it says, but after two years, you got to understand this, two years have gone by since Paul has been arrested in Jerusalem. Now, don't just you know read that and just kind of pass by it. Imagine how long two years is. Two years is a long time. You know, two... Two years is... Imagine not seeing your family for two years. Imagine not seeing, you know, your kids for two years. And we understand Paul didn't have children, but just... I want you to understand, two years is a long time that Paul has been in prison. And the first thing I'd like you to see from this passage is, number one, the world hates believers. And I know we've talked about this before, but I want to talk about it again because, number one, it's in the text, but number two, sometimes I feel like we have to say things, you know... Four or five times before people really start grasping. And I want you to understand this concept. The world hates believers. And these people hated Paul. Look at verse number 1 of, of chapter 25. We saw that Festus came in and took over Felix's spot, right? Verse 1 of chapter 25 says, Now when Festus was come into the province after three days. So how long has Festus been on the job? Three days. After three days, he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. So Festus shows up, and you know, this reminds me a lot of the military. Uh, when I was in the Air Force, you know, the officers, they, they moved around every two years. That was like an Air Force role. Every two years, you got a new commander, you got a new officer, and this is exactly what they did. They'd show up into town, you know, and then they'd go to, from shop to shop, you know, wherever they, whatever they were in charge of, they'd go to meet the people. This is what Festus is doing. He, Felix served his two years, Festus comes in, he's the new commander, the new military guy there, and he's going throughout all the province, he's going checking it out, he's been on the job three days. And he goes down to Jerusalem, look at verse 2. And when he gets there, then the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul, and besought him, and desired favor against him, that he would send for him to Jerusalem, laying wait in the way to kill him. So I want you to see this, two years have gone by, Paul's in prison, the new governor shows up, Goes down to check out, you know, just the province, Jerusalem. He gets there. He's been on the job three days. And the high priest and the Jews are like, what about Paul? We want Paul tried. We want him put to death. And, you know, you got to think to yourself, two years have gone by. Why are these people still so mad about this? You understand what I'm saying? Why are they so angry about this? They're so mad. Paul's been in prison for two years. And then when the new governor shows up, they want him killed. 
And if you see, and if you look at verse 3, they're telling Festus, hey, can you bring Paul down to Jerusalem so that we can try him? But if you look at the last part of verse 3, it says that he would send for him to Jerusalem, and look what it says, laying way in the way to kill him. So their real plan was that when Paul was coming to Jerusalem so they could try him, they were just going to be waiting for him and kill him on the way. So as he's traveling, they, were just, they just wanted to kill him. They hated this man. Look at verse 4. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept in Caesarea, and that he himself would depart shortly hither. So Festus says, you know what? We're going to leave Paul in Caesarea, and I'm going to go to Caesarea in a little while. Verse 5, Let them, therefore, said he, which among you are able, go down with me and accuse the man if there be any wickedness in him. So he said, look, if you want to accuse him, you want a trial, that's fine. Go down to Caesarea, we'll put him on trial. Now what Festus doesn't know is that they've already had Paul on trial. The Jews did. And they tried to tear him apart. They already had him on trial before Felix, and nothing came of it. So this is really the third trial that Paul is in. Verse 6. And when he had tarried among them more than ten days, he went down unto Caesarea, and the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, commanded Paul to be brought. Number one, I want you to see, the world hates believers. And the world hated this man. Look at verse number 15 of the same chapter. Look at Festus is later talking about when the Jews were trying to and get him to uh, bring Paul down to, to uh, have a judgment against him in Jerusalem. Look what Festus says in verse 15. About whom, talking about Paul, when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me, desiring to have judgment against him, to whom I answered, It is not the manner of the Romans to deliver any man to die, before that he which is accused have a have the accusers face to face and have license to answer for himself concerning the crime laid against him. I don't want you to miss that. Festus is talking about when he was in Jerusalem and he's telling them, he's saying, look, these Jews, they just wanted me to kill them. And I told them, look, it's not the manner of the Romans. We don't just kill people. You know, we put them on trial and we have the accusers come and face to face and, 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 and at least lay against him the crimes laid against him. You know, we, he has to be tried in a court. I can't just put him to death. But this is what the Jews were asking. They were saying to this new governor, Hey, can you just kill Paul? Can you just bring Paul down so we can kill him? And he's like, No. <laughs> uh, we got to have a trial. You know, this is how much they hated Paul. Look, look at verse number 24. Verse number 24 of the same chapter. And Festus said, this is again, his talking to King Agrippa about the situation. And Festus said, King Agrippa, and all men which are here present with us, ye see this man, about whom all the multitude of the Jews have dealt with me, both at Jerusalem and also here, crying that he ought not to live any longer. These people hated Paul. I mean, over and over, Festus is telling us how they wanted him dead. They wanted him killed. They were planning, and they weren't even going to wait. They were asking him to bring him to Jerusalem so we could put him on trial and kill him. They weren't even going to wait for the trial. They were secretly planning on killing him on the way. These people hated Paul. Say, why did they hate Paul? Well, look at verse number 18 of, of chapter 25. Festus is talking about when he did put them on trial. And we read the whole chapter in his context, so hopefully you're following along with the story. But Festus is talking about when he did put Paul on trial. Look at verse 18. Against whom, when the accusers stood up. So Festus is saying, the Jews came and the accusers stood up. They brought none accusation of such thing as I suppose. He said, I 
thought these guys, these guys hated this man so much, I thought they were going to come and say, this guy's a murderer, this guy's a rapist, this guy, you know, has done horrible things. But when he says, when they brought the accusation, it was stuff that I didn't think they were going to say. Look at verse 19. But had certain questions against him of their own superstition. Now he called it a superstition because he doesn't believe in it. But he says, they were questioning him about their superstitions. And look what he says. And of one Jesus, which was dead, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. Fetz is like, I don't even understand what they're talking about. He says, I thought they were going to put him on trial. I thought they were going to accuse him about some horrible crime. But instead, they're just arguing about some guy named Jesus, who the Jews say is dead. Paul says he's alive. I don't even know what's going on. I don't know what the big deal is. Now look, here's what you got to understand. Why do they hate Paul? One reason. Because he's a believer in Jesus Christ. Period. Because he preaches Jesus Christ. They say he's dead. Paul says, no, he's alive. No, he's the Savior. No, he, you know, he appeared to me and you got to believe on him to be saved. And they hate him because of it. Go with me real quickly to Matthew chapter number 10. Now I'm going to ask you to keep your finger in Matthew 10 or put a bulletin or something in Matthew 10. Because we're going to be coming back to Matthew 10 a few times throughout the Bible study tonight. But you need to understand something. I really want you to under, grasp this. The world hates believers. The world hated Paul because he preached Jesus Christ. Because he served Jesus Christ. Because he loved Jesus Christ. And that is the exact same reason that the world ought to hate you. Look at Matthew chapter number 10. Look at verse number 17. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. And he said, But beware of men... For they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues, and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake. Do you see that? That's what Paul is living right now. Now look, we understand that the context here is also talking about prophecy, but that's what Paul is living right now. He said, but beware of men, verse 17, for they will deliver you up to councils, that's what they did to Paul, and they will scourge you in the synagogues, that's what they, they've scourged Paul, and you shall be brought before governors, that's what they've done to Paul, and kings, that's what they'll do to Paul in the next chapter. Here's why, for my sake. Jesus Christ said, because of me they're going to do this, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. Here's why they hate Here's why they hate you. Here's why they hate Paul. Because when you live for Jesus Christ, you're a testimony against them. Do you understand that? When you live for God, you're a testimony against them. When you live for righteousness, you're a testimony against them. And he says, for my sake, for it shall be uh, for, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. That's why they hate Paul. That's why they hate Christianity. And by the way, the world ought to hate you and I. I'm not saying we should live in a way that they hate us or give them a reason to hate us. But if you're living right, they're going to hate you. And, and, and let me apply this a little, a little further because I, I want you to understand this. You know, often, uh, and there might be some people here tonight who have even asked me this question. So if, if, if you are, I'm not pointing you out because I get this question a lot. But often, you know, in the ministry, since I've been a pastor, I'll have people ask me, what do you think about so-and-so? And they'll say some famous preacher. What do you think about Joel Osteen? What do you think about, uh, you know, what's a famous preacher? Rick Warren. What do you think about, uh, I'm trying to think, man, good night, I can't think of it. Billy Grant, there you go. What do you think about Billy Grant? What do you think about T.D. Jakes? Or what do you think about, 
what's that? Uh, Charles Stanley. You know, what do you think about these guys, these, these preachers? What do you think about them? And here's the thing. I want you to look at Matthew chapter number 10, and I want you to look at verse number 22. Matthew chapter number 10 and verse 22. Because I want you to understand something in Scripture. And you got to, you know, just get emotion aside, and get, get, get your emotions aside and what you think about it. And just look at what the Bible says. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. And in Matthew chapter number 10 and verse 22, the Lord Jesus Christ said this. He said, But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And now, uh, you know, I'm reading the wrong chapter. Good night. Chapter, I'm reading chapter 11. Chapter 10, verse 22. I was thinking, that's a good verse, but that's not what I'm looking for. Chapter 10, verse 22. Here's what I'm looking for. Jesus said, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Do you see that? Jesus Christ said, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endured to the end shall be saved. Verse 23. But when they persecute you in the city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. Actually, you know what? Go back. Good night. To verse. That's a verse we're going to look at here in a second as well. Uh, but I want you to look at. Verse 24. Skip down to verse number 24. Matthew chapter number 10, verse 24. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ said. The disciple is not above his master. Do you see that? Now, as far as Christianity is concerned, who's the master? Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? Anybody arguing that? Obviously, Jesus Christ is the master. And who are the disciples? You and I. Verse, verse 23. I'm sorry, verse 24. Jesus Christ said, The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master, and the servant as his Lord. Do you understand what Jesus is teaching here? He's saying, look, the disciple is not above his master. He said, it's, it's good enough for the disciple to be like his master, but no disciples above his master, and no servants above his Lord. Look at verse 25 again. It is enough for the disciple to be as his master, and the servant as his, as his Lord. Now look at what Jesus Christ said. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub. You say, what's Beelzebub? Beelzebub is the devil. That's what Beelzebub means. Beelzebub is like Satan worshippers, literally. And Jesus Christ said, because they called Jesus Beelzebub. You remember? He said, the, he said, the blasphemy against the Holy... You know, he said, the, the a sin that won't be forgiven is the blasphemy against the Holy, uh, Holy Spirit. And when he said that, it's because they called him Beelzebub. They called him Satan. And the Lord Jesus Christ said this, If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Do you see that? He says, if I'm the master, and they call me Satan, what are they going to call you? He said, because the, the disciple is not above his master, and the servant is not above his Lord, so if the world hated me, he said in John, they will hate you too. Now here's the thing. Apply that verse to preachers today. Billy Graham is the most famous preacher who has ever lived in, Amer you know, in our generation. Billy Graham, at the drop of a... Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, just making a phone call could 
be on any major television program or uh, radio program that he chooses. Billy Graham could call the White House right now and say, I'd like to meet with the president, and they would allow it. Now look, is that following the ministry of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ was hated by this world. And Jesus Christ said, if they called me Beelzebub, what are they going to call you? He said, because the disciples are better than the master, and the, and the servants are better than the Lord. Joel Osteen, most popular preacher in the world today. And Joel Osteen sells best-selling you know, series, or he sells books, makes millions of dollars. He goes from you know, coliseum to coliseum, arena to arena, holding revivals and this and that. Could be on any television program. He, Joel Osteen is just a young Billy Graham. Charles Stanley has book tours with thousands of people coming out to see him. Rick Warren performed the prayer at the inauguration of President Barack Obama. I mean, these people are loved by the world. And I just got to, here's, here's what I want you to understand, okay? Jesus Christ said, the disciple is not above his master. The disciple is not better than his master. And the servant is not better than the Lord. And in that context, he said, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call you? So here's what I think about, you know, these big time preachers. Either, number one, they're better than Jesus Christ, or they're not disciples of Jesus Christ. You understand what I'm saying? Either Billy Graham is better than Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ went out preaching, and Jesus Christ, you know, went out and healed people, but how did he end up? On the cross. John the Baptist, great revivals. How did he end up? With his head cut off. Paul, greatest missionary who ever lived. How did he end up? In prison? Hasn't even been charged? Hasn't even been, you know, uh, gotten a, a fair trial? He, he, he's persecuted, you know. And Jesus Christ said, this is what will happen. You know, it's so funny, I had a, there was a person that was coming to this church, and they were coming, they were new, and I was preaching, you know, sermons, and they were loving, they were loving every minute of it, and, and, and multiple times, I just, like, man, you, you're such a great preacher, you need to be on TV, your preaching needs to be on the television, people need to hear this, and I kept trying to explain this person, like, this type of preaching doesn't fly on the TV. If this type of preaching on the TV, we'd be persecuted. We'd have people picketing outside. You know, I was trying to be kind. You know, they were trying to be nice, you know. You know that exact same person? I was preaching a sermon, that exact same person got up, walked out, slammed the door, and, you know, cursed my name. Cause of, and and I was, this is what I was thinking about when it happened. You're the one who wanted me on TV. <laughs> but here's the thing. That's Bible preaching. The world doesn't love this book. The world doesn't love Jesus Christ. The world doesn't love Paul. Why? Because he's preaching Jesus Christ. So if the world loves you, that tells me one thing. You must not be a disciple. Because either or, or either that or you're just better than Jesus Christ. And I don't think anybody's better than Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ wasn't accepted by this world. So, so here's what you got to understand. If there's ever a preacher who is loved by the world, either he's better than Jesus Christ or he's not a servant of Jesus Christ. He's not serving Jesus Christ because the servant, Jesus said it, not me, is not better than his Lord and the disciple is not better than his master. And if they have called the master of the house, Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? So they must not be of his household. you got to understand this. The world hates Bible Christianity. I didn't say the world. The world's okay with a rock concert that says we love Jesus. The world's okay with that. The world's okay with a fluffy, nice, pat on the back, 
you know, make you feel good, 25 minute sermonette. They love that. But when you start preaching the Bible and you start getting into scripture and into doctrine and start, you know, calling them up on sin and saying, hey, that's not right, like Paul did and like Christ did and like John did, that's not going to get you on Larry King Live. I'm sorry. That's not going to get you. Oprah, you know, being interviewed by Oprah Winfrey. That's not, you know, I don't think if Jesus was alive today, Barack Obama wouldn't be asking him to preach his inauguration service. It's not going to happen. Jesus Christ said, and you, we had to understand this as Christians. He said, it is enough for the disciple that he be as his masters and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? And look, that lived out Read the book of Acts. John was in prison. Peter was in prison. Paul was in prison. Stephen was martyred. James had his head cut off. Show me where in the Bible these, these guys were going around and, you know, renting out Arco arenas and making thousands and millions of dollars. Show me that. It's not there. Because if you serve Jesus Christ, the Bible says this in 2 Timothy, Yea, they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer Persecution. It's not an option. You will suffer persecution if you live godly in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're a Christian, you never suffer persecution. It's probably because you're not living godly. I mean, the world doesn't have an issue with you if you're just like them. But if you're different, see, that's a testimony against them. That's why they hate it. That's a testimony against them. That's why they don't like it. That's a testimony against them. That's why they don't like Christianity. Go back to Acts chapter number 25. We said, number one, the world hates them. But I want you to see one more thing and we're done. One more point. Number two, this situation that Paul's in would discourage almost any believer. I mean, Paul is in a bad, bad situation. Number one, he has false accusers. He has accusers that are lying about him. Look at verse number uh, four. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea, and that he himself would depart shortly hither. Let them therefore, said he, which among you are able to go down with me and accuse this man, if there be any wickedness in him. And when he had tarried among them more than ten days, he went down unto Caesarea, and the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, commanded Paul to be brought. Look at verse 7. And when he was come, the Jews which came down from Jerusalem stood round about and laid, don't miss this, many and grievous complaints against Paul. So they're like, he did this, he did that. I mean, they said many things. They said grievous things. Look at the last part of verse 7, which they could not prove. <laughs> you see that? So number one, he had a bunch of false, lying accusers, which by the way, that's what Jesus Christ had. Do you remember when Jesus was being crucified? They brought him on that mock trial. They couldn't find two witnesses that could agree. They couldn't find two witnesses that had the same story. They all were just lying. And that's what they were saying about Jesus. And that's what they were saying to Paul. A bunch of liars. Not only that, but Paul was being judged by a corrupt judge in a corrupt court. Look at verse 27 of the last chapter again. Verse 27 of chapter 24. But after two years, Porcius Festus came unto Felix's room, and Felix, now Felix was the last judge. Felix willing to show the Jews a pleasure. Do you see that? Felix willing to show the Jews a pleasure left Paul bound. Drop down to verse number uh, 29 
of, of chapter 25. Look at what it says. So Felix, the Bible says, he was willing to show the Jews a pleasure and he left Paul bound. Look at Paul, uh, Acts 25, verse 29. Acts 25, there is no verse 29. Good night. Acts 25, verse 9. That's what I want you to be at. Acts 25, verse 9. The Bible says, but Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure. Do you see that? Now look, if you're on trial... Do you want to be judged by a judge who's just looking for an opportunity to give the other guy a favor? <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? The Bible says that Felix was willing to give the Jews a pleasure. Festus was willing to give the Jews a pleasure. I mean, the, sto- the, the, the odds are, sto- uh, are, are, are just stag- staggering against Paul. He has accusers who are a bunch of liars, and he has judges who are corrupt, and they're rooting for the other side. Now look, if I'm going to be judged by a judge, I want a judge who's going to be like fair and balanced, you know what I mean? I don't want, you know, I don't want the guy who's like rooting for the other people, but that's who he's being tried by. Not only that, Paul is on his own. There is no interest by the court to protect him. Look at verse 9 again. But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure... Answered Paul and said, this is what Festus asked Paul. He said, will thou go up to Jerusalem and there be judged of these things before me? So Festus is like, well look, are you willing to go to Jerusalem? And then Paul does something that's very peculiar, kind of odd. In verse 10, then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. He says, look, I'm exactly where I need to be. I'm at the right judgment place. He says, to the Jews have I done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. That's very interesting. He said, look, you know I haven't done anything wrong, judge. Crooked judge. Verse 11. For if I be an offender, or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. He said, look, if I've done something wrong, I don't... I'll die if I've broken the law. But if there be none of these things, whereof these accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. And look, he makes a statement. He says, I appeal unto Caesar. Now, you understand. Paul was a Roman citizen. And one of the rights he had as a Roman citizen in the Roman Empire is that if he felt he was being mistreated or he felt like he was being, you know, in a court that was, uh, was against him, which by the way he was, he had the opportunity to say, you know what, I appeal unto Caesar. Now Caesar Augustus was the leader of the Roman Empire and it would be like you and I being able to appeal to the Supreme Court. So just say, this court's crooked, the Ninth Circuit court is crooked, <laughs> and I'm going to appeal unto Caesar, unto the Superior Court. That's what he was saying. He said, I'm going to Caesar. Now some people, if you look at chapter 26, look at the last verse of verse uh, 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 chapter 26. The last verse of chapter 26 says, Then said Agrippa unto Festus, This man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. Now a lot of people say, Paul made a huge mistake here by appealing to Caesar. Because they would have let him go. But here's what you understand. Agrippa, Felix, Festus, all those guys had no intention of letting Paul go. They thought that if Paul was tried by the Jews, they were certainly let him free. But you and I know that's not true. Because he's already been tried by the Jews and they tried to rip him apart. And not only that, but in verse 3 of chapter 25, and desired favor against him, that he would send for him to Jerusalem, laying wait in the way to kill him. Paul knew, if I get tried at Jerusalem, I'm not making it to Jerusalem. Do you remember in chapter 23, go back to chapter 23, remember chapter 23, 40 men made a vow that they would neither eat or drink until they killed Paul? And do you remember the main reason, actually, you know what, let's not go to uh, Acts 23, because we're, we're going to waste so much time there, but do you remember that... The whole reason that Paul came to Caesarea 
was because they told the, the chief captain, hey, 40 men have made a vow to kill Paul, and they sent them in the middle of the night, 470 soldiers sent, uh, were sent to protect him as he went to Felix. And Paul, Paul Festus thinks, if I send you to Jerusalem, they'll try you, they'll acquit you, you'll be free. But Paul understands this. If you send me to Jerusalem, I'm not making it to Jerusalem. So he said the only smart thing he could do. He said, I appeal it to Caesar. And it sent him to Rome. But here's what you understand. I, co- I told you to keep your place there in Matthew 10, right? Go back to Matthew chapter number 10. Look at verse number 16. Matthew chapter number 10. Look at verse number 16. Remember we read all those verses about, you know, if they, if they hate you, if they hate the Master, they're going to hate you, and they're going to deliver you up, and all that. Jesus Christ also said in that same context, in verse 16, He said, Behold, Matthew 10, 16, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore, look what He said, wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And that's what I believe Paul was doing. He was being wise and, and realizing, if I go to Jerusalem, I'm not making it to Jerusalem. I appeal, I appeal to Caesar. So I, I think he did the right thing. Because he knew he wasn't making it to Jerusalem. And, and Jesus Christ even told us, He said, look, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. He said, I understand I'm sending you out to the enemy. But just because you're a bunch of sheep in the midst of wolves, people that want to kill you, people want to hurt you, He said, be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. He didn't say, you know, just be dumb out there. He said, protect yourself. And that's what Paul was doing. So I don't think Paul did anything wrong. Paul appeals to Caesar. And... Paul was just doing... But here's what I'm trying to understand. The court has no interest in defending Paul. They don't care if he dies on the way. Paul is just on his own. He's, he's got to outsmart them. If he wants to stay alive and he says, You know what? Forget all this. I appeal to Caesar. Just send me to Rome. Because this is not going to work. I am not getting out of here alive. Now here's what I want you to understand. Go, go with me real quick to... to um, Acts 23. We're going to look at another, another verse real quick. Acts 23. Paul was in a bad situation. Not only that, but we saw there a few times... Actually, you know, I'm sorry. My, my mind's kind of scatterbrained right now. Go to Matthew 25, and I want you to just look at the last verse. Matthew 25, 27. Matthew 25, 27. This is what Festus said. For it seemeth to me unreasonable to send a prisoner... And not with all to signify the crimes laid against him. Is that a crazy verse or what? Here's what I want you to say. Go to Acts 23. Paul is in prison. Paul has accusers who are liars, has judges who are crooked, has to look out for himself and knows what no one else is for him has been in prison for two years, and hasn't even been charged with a crime. Do you understand what I'm saying? Could you imagine being in prison for two years, and you haven't even been charged with a crime? They're holding the court to figure out why they're in court. Does that make sense? They're putting them on trial to figure out why they're on trial. That's what they're doing. And you and I would be depressed. You and I would be discouraged. You and I would be sad. You and I would be mad. But I want you to understand something. Matthew 23, look at verse number 11. Do you remember when all this started to happen? Matthew 23, 11, the Bible says, And the night following, the Lord stood by him, talking about Paul, and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Do you see that? The Bible tells us that the Lord appeared.
to Paul, stood by him, and he said, Hey, Paul, be of good cheer. And he gave him a promise. He said, You testified to me in Jerusalem, you're going to testify in Rome as well. And here's what you, I want you to understand. Go back to Matthew chapter number 10. Let's do this quickly so we can be done. Matthew chapter number 10. I told you to keep your place there, right? Matthew chapter number 10. Look at verse number 19. Matthew chapter number 10. Look at verse number 19. Jesus Christ said, they're going to deliver you. They're going to, you know, beat you. They're going to do all these bad things to you. Matthew 10, 19. But when they deliver you up, look what he says. Take no thought how or what you shall speak. For it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Do you see that? Jesus Christ said, they're going to hate you. And they're going to persecute you. And they're going to bring you to the synagogues. They're going to scourge you. They're going to beat you. They're going to imprison you. They're going to bring you to councils. They're going to fight against you. He said, but don't worry. Don't even think about what what am I going to say. Just let the Holy Spirit do the talking. And you know why I believe Paul was calm and cool? I mean, if anyone's acting wise as a serpent and and, uh, harmless as a dove, it's Paul in in this story. But you want to know why I believe he's doing it? It's because he's just relying on the Holy Ghost. He says, look, the, the, the odds are stacked against me, but God told me I'm going to Rome, and I'm not that worried about it. The Holy Spirit, and Jesus told us, when you're in that bad situation, let the Holy Spirit take over. Go with me real quickly to 2 Timothy chapter number 1. 2 Timothy chapter number 1. If you and I... We're in Paul's situation. Man, we'd be asking for a medic. We'd be saying, I, I, need, I need medication. I, I need a, an upper because I'm down. And I need a downer because I'm too up. I need anxiety pills because I'm scared. I need depression medication. I don't know what I'm going to do. But Paul's just cool. Paul's just calm. Because he's relying on the Holy Ghost. Go look at 1 Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy chapter number 1, look at verse number 7. 2 Timothy chapter number 1, look at verse number 7. The Bible says this, 2 Timothy 1, 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of what? Fear. God hath not given us the spirit of fear. Here's a contrast. But of power and of love. And I want you to see the last phrase. And of a sound mind. The Bible says, you say, Can you think of a more stressful situation when you're being taken to court by the enemy who hates you because of your because you're a Christian? When they're lying, the judge is bought off, and no one's looking out for you except you and God. And Paul just I appeal to Caesar. And then he goes, you know, it reminds me of the story of Peter. Remember when Peter when when they, they told him, Tomorrow we're gonna behead you? And then the angel comes to break him out of prison. Do you remember what Peter was doing when he was when the angel? Remember the story? Because nothing's in the Bible by mistake. Remember the story says the angel had to wake Peter up. He said, "Hey, wake up!" And, and to take, take him out of prison. Now here's the thing: you and I, we wouldn't be sleeping. They're gonna cut off my head tomorrow. We'd be up all night. Peter wasn't worried about it. Peter. They, they said, "Peter, we're gonna cut your head off tomorrow." He said, "All right, good night. Wake me in the morning." And 
and he went to bed. He didn't take sleeping pills. Oh, I'm so nervous. I better take these sleeping pills. He was sleeping like a baby. The angel shows up and says, Peter, wake up. We gotta go. He's not worried. Why? Because God had not given us the spirit of fear, but of a sound mind. And that's why he says, when you're delivered up to the council, he said, don't even worry about what you're going to say. Just trust in the Holy Ghost. Trust in the Holy Spirit. Go with me to Proverbs 13. Proverbs 13. Look at verse number 12. Proverbs 13. Look at verse number 12. Let's do it quickly. Proverbs 13. Look at verse 12. Some of us have to go to work. Proverbs 13. Look at verse number 12. Look at what the Bible says. Let me show you the cause of depression in our society today. Proverbs 13, 12. Look at what the Bible says. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. You see that? What makes your heart sick? Deferred hope. What makes your heart hurt? Deferred hope. What makes your heart break? Deferred hope. But when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. What helps your heart? Desire. See, you know why Paul wasn't sad? Because he had hope. You know why Paul wasn't struggling with his emotions? Because he had hope. Because he believed in God. The Bible says to hope in God. Because he was trusting in the Holy Spirit. And he said, you know what? Uh, like Esther, Esther said, when she was going before the king, and she might have been put to death, she said, if I perish, I perish. But the Bible says that she was brought for such a time as this. And as Christians, let's look at one more, one more verse. We're done. Go with me to 1 John, chapter number 3. 1 John, towards the end of your New Testament. 1 John, chapter number 3, look at verse number 2. 1 John, chapter number 3, look at verse number 2. 1 John chapter number 3, look at verse number 2. The Bible says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. That's talking about the rapture. Let me read that again. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when we... when He, talking about Jesus, shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Talking about when we see Jesus, we will be like Him. When we see Him, we'll get our glorified body. No more pain, no more heartache, no more sickness, no more sin. We'll be like Him. That's something great to look forward to, right? Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. And every man that hath this hope in Him, purify himself, even as he is pure. You know what's the difference between you and the world? They have no hope. When they die, they die and they go to hell. You know that the worst day that a Christian has is better than the best day that an unsaved person has because at the end of the day, that unsaved person is going to die and go to hell. And at the end of the day, if you're Job and you lose your family and you lose your finances and your wife turns against you and your friends turn against you and you have no one to turn for at the end of the day, you still can hope in God. That's where the strength comes. That's where the power comes, from the Holy Spirit. So how do we apply this to our life? When you're going through something, it's not time to run away from God. It's time to run to God. It's not time to run away from the Bible reading. It's time to get to the Bible reading. It's not time to get away from prayer time. It's time to run to prayer time. Because that's what's going to strengthen you. That's what's going to help you. I don't have uh, time to go there. But in Nehemiah, the Bible says... The joy of the Lord is our strength. David said, I don't have time to go there, but you can look it up in 1 Samuel 30, 16 if you want to. David said, when they were turning against him, when his own army was talking about killing him, the Bible said that David encouraged himself in the Lord. 
That's what we got to do, you and I. You say, Pastor, I'm not feeling well. I feel like my heart's... It's because you've lost your hope. Focus on your hope. Remember the, remember the quote for the, for the bulletin? What did it say? Change the way you look at things, and the things you look at will change. You start Put your eyes on Christ, put your eyes on God, and you'll start looking at the rest. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for church. Thank you for the Bible study time. Thank you for the Apostle Paul, one of our favorite characters in the Bible, just a man who was godly and who loved you and trusted you. And Father, I pray you'd help this sermon to help us tonight to learn that we must trust in your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we all get a sick heart from time to time. We all get sad. We all get depressed. We all get nervous. We all get anxious about life and things that are going to happen. But if we just rely on your Spirit, the hope that we have, then we don't have to be like this world without hope. But we can have that spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. We love you, Father. In your precious name I pray. Amen.